Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And well, if you've been hiding under a rock or maybe you don't live in the United States, then you might not know that yesterday was something of an auspicious day, especially in the land of election litigation. As we talked about last week, if this election between Joe Biden and the incumbent President Trump was going to be a close one, we could all expect there to be a surfeit of litigation. A veritable cornucopia of lawyers are sure to spring up and attach themselves to various court processes in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and maybe North Carolina and maybe Michigan. And it was to my surprise that, in fact, the President Trump campaign has wound up suing first and foremost in the state of Michigan. To what end? To try to stop the vote counting in Michigan as of today. You can see this highlighted in blue already claimed for Joseph Biden in the New York Times interactive map because I think he's leading right now in the counted votes by 60 or 70,000 votes here in Michigan. Certainly seems uh, like Biden is going to take my home state, but President Trump was suing to stop the counting because he feels that there have been some uh, irregularities in procedure. Now, we're going to look at that lawsuit. First, I want to give a hat tip to one of the people that I follow on Twitter, Jonathan Oosting, who reports about Michigan politics for a company called Bridge. And it is through his tweets and his social media presence that we actually can see the complaint that was filed in the state of Michigan's Court of Claims to try to get the Secretary of State here to stop the count. Now, Unlike many other episodes of Virtual Legality, where I've gone through all of these things and I've highlighted them and I've pulled up kind of other cross-reference materials, this really came out about 10 or 15 minutes ago. So I'm going to read through it with you. We're going to talk about it. There aren't going to be any helpful guides like highlights or things like that, so I apologize in advance. But as you can see on the bottom of your screen, this is really only seven or so pages long. We start on page three because the first couple of pages about how you file with the Court of Claims aren't really that important to legal analysis here, and we will see what President Trump is upset about here in Michigan. So this is a complaint. You can see this is assigned to a Judge Stevens. Interesting side note here. Judge, I believe it's Cynthia Stevens, actually ruled earlier in the season to allow the state of Michigan to collect ballots for, I believe it was 14 days after the fact. And if you follow me on Twitter, you will find that I was unhappy with that decision, not because there shouldn't be uh, consideration of COVID and the other circumstances that we have in the state, but because a Michigan Court of Claims judge shouldn't be making those decisions, doesn't have the authority to make those decisions, and in fact was overturned pretty handily at the Court of Appeals level. But it does mean that the president's claim has been submitted to this particular judge. And if we were to read the tea leaves and take a look at what we would think would happen to this case before we dive in, we would expect it to come to nothing, if only based on the history between these two parties in the past couple of months. But the substance could change. Judges are supposed to look at things from an unbiased perspective, and there's no reason to believe Judge Stevens won't do that. So let's take a look at what the president has to say. So the plaintiffs here are Donald J. Trump for President Inc. That's the corporation that it is his campaign, not Trump himself. And Eric Ostergren, Donald J. Trump for President Inc. of the United States of America, and is a candidate for re-election in the 2020 general election. Well, uh, the company isn't a candidate for re-election. Donald Trump is, but close enough, I guess. Donald J. Trump for president is the campaign committee for President Trump and Vice President Pence. Eric 
Ostergren is a registered voter of Roskomen County, Michigan, and a credentialed and trained as an election challenger. Eric Ostergren was excluded from the counting board during the absent voter ballot review process. So as we will see in this document, there are individuals that can be representative of either party that go and sit in the room and stand behind people and watch as ballots are counted. And specifically in this case, you see referenced absent voter ballots are counted. And of course, in 2020, in the land of coronavirus and COVID-19, absent voter ballots, the mail-in ballots are really one of the big stories of the day and why you saw these massive shifts in between the demographic returns and who's winning and who's losing various states, really in both directions, depending on the order that various states were collecting their mail-in ballots, their absentee ballots, their pre-election day ballots, and how they were counting those ballots that were submitted as of yesterday in person. Jocelyn Benson is Michigan's Secretary of State. Yes, she issues my driver's license. Responsible for overseeing Oakland County's conduct of the 2020 presidential election. So Northville, Michigan, I live in Wayne County. That's the county that you might be the most familiar with. That's where Detroit is. Oakland County is the county immediately north of that. A lot of people, a lot of money, very populous county in Michigan. And this complaint, just judging on the headers here, seems to be targeting the voting and counting process in Oakland County. Jocelyn Benson is Michigan Secretary of State and is the chief elections officer responsible for overseeing the conduct of Michigan elections. Yep, she sure is. And they've got some statute references to show that. Local election officials must follow Secretary Benson's instructions regarding the conduct of elections. Michigan law provides that Secretary Benson advise and direct local election officials as to the proper methods of conducting elections. So far, so good. Secretary Benson is responsible for assuring Michigan's local election officials conduct elections in a fair, just, and lawful manner. Now, this is the prelude to the actual complaint, so you can already see that what they're going to complain about is that whatever is happening in Michigan, that Secretary Benson, as the Secretary of State for the state, is failing in some capacity to maintain that the elections are fair, just, and lawful. That's ultimately where this is going to wind up. They claim jurisdiction and standing. Those are very difficult legal concepts, not anything that we need to talk about here on YouTube, because in general, uh, Donald Trump's campaign is going to have standing to bring a complaint about the way the votes for his campaign are being counted. Uh, The background, there was a general election that is being held as of November 3rd, 2020, in case you didn't know, Judge. MCL, that's the Michigan Compiled Laws, Section 168-765-A, regarding absent voter counting boards where absentee votes are processed and counted states in relevant part as follows. At all times, at least one election inspector from each major political party must be present at the absent voter counting place and the policies and procedures adopted by the Secretary of State regarding the counting of absent voter ballots must be followed. Now, that's a pretty hard and fast rule. We've talked in virtual legality a lot about statutes and rules and regulations that are kind of vague, kind of ambiguous, and the government could go one way or a private actor could go one way. This is pretty clear. There has to be a Democrat and a Republican at all times present at an absent voter counting place. So Section 11 comes in here and says, Michigan absent voter counting boards are not complying with this statute. These boards are being conducted without inspectors from each party being present. That is an actual quantifiable claim. Before we get any further, before they start talking about fairness or one vote, one voter, all these kinds of various things, that is actually something that could be adjudged, could be looked at and said, hey, is there a Republican there? Is there a Democrat there? And that can be something that could actually bring 
a relevant claim here in the state of Michigan. Now, it's interesting just from a kind of contextual basis. We look at the way they message these things in these documents that they don't actually say that there isn't a Republican president, even though we know that that's what they must mean. They wouldn't really care if there wasn't a Democrat president, we wouldn't think. So they're trying to say there isn't a Republican president, but they're trying to couch it specifically in the wording of the statute, which requires one of each major political party to be present. Further, a political party, incorporated organization, or, or organized committee of interested citizens may designate one quote-unquote challenger to serve at each counting board. An election challenger appointed under that law has these responsibilities. They can be provided a space within a polling place where they will observe the election procedure. They must be allowed the opportunity to inspect poll books as ballots are issued to electors and witness the electors' names being entered into the poll book. An election challenger must be allowed to observe the manner in which the duties of the election inspectors are being performed. An election challenger is authorized to challenge the voting rights of a person who the challenger has good reason to believe is not a registered elector. Can look at this and say, hey, I don't think that guy actually matches the picture here or the signature there or some other reason why they might think that they shouldn't be a registered elector. An election challenger is authorized to challenge an election procedure that is not being properly performed. Hey, you're supposed to sign here and put these in the envelope over here and you're not doing it in the right order. An election challenger may bring to an election inspector's attention any of the following improper handling of a ballot by an elector or election inspector doing something wrong, a violation of a regulation made by the board of election inspectors with regard to the time in which an elector may remain in the polling place. You can't just hang out there campaigning and fundraising being performed by an election inspector or other person covered by the various laws and any other violation of election law or other prescribed election procedure. These are supposed to be folks that can be sitting there much like the observers referenced above, but under a different law and say, hey, you are doing that wrong or hey, you're not allowed to fundraise for your candidate while you sit at the desk and ask people what their last name is. An election challenger may remain present during the canvassing of votes and until the statement of returns is duly signed and made. An election challenger may examine each ballot as it is being counted. An election challenger may keep records of votes cast and other election procedures as the challenger desires. Now, if you aren't familiar with processes and procedures, and every state has their own election rules on these topics, this kind of procedure is one of the ways in which we get a certain amount of comfort, a certain amount of safety and security about the count taking place. If you think about the legal process in and of itself, how do the American jurisprudence systems work, it's through kind of adversarial combat. We believe that you have a defendant and a plaintiff, and if you have counsel on both those sides, and if you are represented zealously, then through the crucible of combat, the truth shall issue therefrom. And very similarly, with respect to election law, you see, we believe that if you have a challenger, if you have Democratic and Republican observers, and you have challengers that you can sit at the table and can complain about not following the rules, then if you have enough eyeballs on the process, then there won't really be an issue. And that's really how we get that certain amount of safety and security about the election process itself. Now, sure, it can break down, it can be manipulated, there can be all these various things, but this is why, these kinds of rules and regulations is why mostly you can generally feel comfortable about a lot of the counting process as long as the overall observation rules are being followed. Paragraph 15, Michigan values the important role challengers perform in assuring the transparency and integrity of elections. For example, Michigan law provides it is a felony punishable by up to two years in state prison for any person to threaten or intimidate a challenger who is performing any activity described in Michigan law above. 
It is a felony punishable by up to two years in a state prison for any person to prevent the presence of a challenger exercising their rights or to fail to provide a challenger with conveniences for the performance of their duties. You know, restroom access and things like that. Local election jurisdictions locate ballot drop-off boxes without opportunity for challengers to observe the process. And as such, Secretary Benson violates her constitutional and statutory authority and damages the integrity of Michigan elections. Now that came out of nowhere, right? We're looking at paragraph 16. We were just talking about challengers and you can start to see what the Trump campaign is trying to say here, which is that Michigan has these concepts, has an observation concept about the actual counting, has a challenger concept in a very similar respect, and that this new process, which may or may not be new, depending on who you ask and who you talk to about the history of absentee voters and absentee ballot counting in Michigan, that this process of having ballot boxes, drop-off boxes where you can put your ballots, prevents any of the kind of protections that we just talked about. But... In my heart of hearts, this is the kind of complaint that you would make months before. Once the plans are in place, once you know that the elections are going to take place, if this is an issue, this is kind of late in the day to bring this up as a complaint that somehow the observation of the drop-off boxes is something that isn't properly covered. And if you'll note, isn't actually expressly referenced here with respect to challengers. You see references to polling places where they can observe election procedure. They don't get that access with respect to drop-off boxes, but... Is that enough to complain about? Probably not without another paragraph where you say, hey, these are the seven things that people have told us about that are a problem with the drop-off boxes or some kind of fraud on the ground. Without that, you're kind of just saying, well, we don't think this is systemically something that protects votes, but we can't actually point to something specifically. And that's the kind of weakness that I see so far as we read through this document. Michigan law requires that ballot containers be monitored by video surveillance. Okay. Secretary Benson is violating the Michigan Constitution and Michigan election law by allowing absent voter ballots to be processed and counted without allowing challengers to observe the video of the ballot boxes into which these ballots are placed. So this is, again, another kind of quantifiable issue. You didn't see here referenced specifically in the law that these challengers should have access to that video. That's going to be a problem from a kind of textualist basis. But if Secretary Benson is observing these ballot drop-off boxes that were put in various places around the state of Michigan, especially here in 2020, and that video does exist, then probably, and as a kind of analogy to what the challengers are supposed to do, in a perfect world, they would get access to that video to, again, comport the election procedures as one would hope would happen in a true, fair, legal, and just election. But the law doesn't quite say that. They can't really point to any bad things. But yet this is a quantifiable thing, just like Republicans and Democrats in the room. That actually is a little bit more actionable than just, hey, we should be allowed to observe the drop-off boxes themselves. Plaintiffs ask Secretary Benson to segregate ballots cast in these remote and unattended ballot drop boxes and, before the ballots are processed, removed from their verifying envelopes and counted, allow designated challengers to view the video of the remote ballot box. Again, it's a fair request if we just kind of think of the overall theory of what they are asking for, but it might not be what the law requires, and that's that's what the judge is going to rule on. Secretary Benson's actions and her failure to act have undermined the constitutional right of all Michigan voters, including the voters bringing this action to participate in fair and lawful elections. Just like we said above, this was where it was always coming out. These Michigan citizens' constitutional rights are being violated by Secretary Benson's failure to prevent unlawful ballots to be processed 
and her failure to ensure that statutorily authorized challengers have a right to do their job. So you can see they're trying to maybe not fully steal a base here, but at least take some rhetorical largesse that the challenger is supposed to get access to a polling place to observe these things. Ballot box, drop-offs really aren't polling places for this purpose. You've got definitions and regulations about these various kinds of things, but they bring up a good point that to the extent this is important to the way the election laws work in Michigan, they probably should be important down here when we're talking about drop-off boxes, but the Michigan legislature doesn't appear to have enacted something like that. I can't claim to be familiar with every line of Michigan election law, but I would assume that if they had, or if there was something better than this to bring up in a claim like this, that the Trump campaign would have done so. So we can assume with a pretty high degree of certainty that there isn't something stronger that they could have used. Now we get the actual counts, the things that they say specifically are wrong. That was all background through paragraph 20. Count one, Secretary Benson violated the Equal Protection Clause of Michigan's Constitution. Michigan's Constitution declares, and in the 1963 version, that no person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws. This clause is coextensive with the United States Constitution's Equal Protection Clause, so we can use United States jurisprudence and precedents. Plaintiff seeks declaratory and injunctive relief requiring Secretary Benson to direct that election authorities comply with Michigan law mandating election inspectors from each party and allowing challengers access to video of ballot boxes before counting of relevant votes takes place. Now, technically, you've got an equal protection claim. Usually you would bring that claim with some relevant precedent descriptions of why this is an equal protection kind of argument. You've got references to things like Bush v. Gore, having once granted the right to vote on equal terms, the state may not by later arbitrary and disparate treatment value one person's vote over the other. You've got a reference to a case called Harper versus Virginia Board of Elections from the 60s that says once the franchise is granted to the electorate, lines may not be drawn, which are inconsistent with the equal protection clause. That's all true. They can't just do arbitrary things to keep you from voting. That's what we might hear referenced in social media or elsewhere as voter suppression. They're not supposed to do those kinds of things. But then tying this to the specific statutes that we talked about above is a little bit of a leap. They say, okay, we're bringing this claim that it's an equal protection clause action, and thus you should give us these uh, compliance measures with the law. We would expect that to be a complaint about violating or breaching the law, and I would guess that that would be a count later on. Secretary Benson in Oakland County violated Michigan voters' rights under the Michigan Constitution's Purity of Elections Clause. The Michigan Constitution's Purity of Elections Clause states that the legislature shall enact laws to regulate the time, place, and manner of all nominations and elections to preserve the purity of elections, to preserve the secrecy of the ballot, to guard against abuses of the elective franchise, and to provide for a system of voter registration and absentee voting. The phrase purity of elections does not have a single precise meaning. Nope, we never get those in constitutions, right? They're always pretty vague and they can be interpreted later on. But it unmistakably requires fairness and even-handedness in the election laws of this state. And they do a reference to a 2014 case. Michigan statutes protect the purity of elections by allowing ballot challengers and election inspectors to monitor absentee ballots at counting boards. Plaintiff seeks declaratory and injunctive relief requiring Secretary Benson to direct that election authorities comply with Michigan law mandating election inspectors from each party and allowing challengers to get that video of the ballot boxes. So they arrive at the same request here. Paragraph 27 and 23 are the same. They think they can get to that request with the Equal Protection Clause. They think they can get to that request with the Purity of Elections Clause. But again, all of this is based on is there a breach of those regulations and laws that they read about above? 
right? If there isn't a breach of that, then all of these claims fall apart because they have just tied the Michigan Constitution twice to the fact that they don't feel like they are getting those election inspectors or video ballot box access, which may or may not be something that they can get under the law, and now are asking for that to be given to them before more votes are counted. MCL 168765A regarding absent voter counting boards where absentee votes are processed and counted states in relevant part as follows. One election inspector from each political party, which we just talked about above. So this is the count that I was mentioning when we were looking at the equal protection claims under the Constitution. This is a count that just says you're violating the law. This is the cleanest and strongest type of argument, if it's true. If there aren't a Republican inspector and a Democratic inspector in one of these places, and that is something that's systemic and not just an accident, then this is the kind of thing where the judge looks at it and says, well, you are in violation. We need to do something to prevent that. We need to do something to fix it. Or I need to determine that it didn't really materially change things and I'm not so worried about it. We don't know what way a judge will go. This is a pretty extraordinary request in an emergency basis. Whatever decision she winds up making, it is very likely to be appealed if it isn't to one or the other side's liking. But this is the strongest argument. If those people aren't in the room, they say Michigan absent voter counting boards under the authority of Secretary Benson are not complying with this statute. These boards are being conducted without inspectors from each party being present. That is by far the strongest claim. It doesn't depend on this kind of analogy to what videos are and whether videos are really being at the polling place in a very similar capacity to what the law requires. This says, hey, you have this requirement, you aren't meeting it, and now something must be done. And what is that something? They would have there be a speedy hearing on an expedited basis. They would mandate that the Secretary of State order all counting and processing of absentee votes to be ceased. Until, to, until an election inspector from each party is present at each absent voter counting board and until video is made available to challengers of each ballot box, they would have the secretary be mandated to order the immediate segregation of all ballots that are not being inspected and monitored as aforesaid, and they would award their own costs. Everybody likes to get the lawyers to be paid by the other side. So that's the last request, of course. So what does this ultimately say? It says they want the Secretary of State of Michigan to stop counting absentee ballots and to get people into the rooms as is required by the law. If that is in fact happening, if those people aren't in the room, forgetting video access and the rest of the kind of complaint here and the the extra pages to explain how it's a violation of everybody's due process and equal protection and the purity of elections, forgetting all that, if this specifically isn't being complied with, this is the kind of thing that I do think a judge should be able to look at and say, yeah, why isn't that being complied with? Secretary of State Benson, make sure it is being complied with and we can put a very, very temporary hold on something if that isn't in fact the case. I strongly suspect that in most instances across the state of Michigan, this is in fact the case. And it surprises me that for a Trump complaint like this one, you don't have a couple of paragraphs of fact basis, not here in the counts, but earlier in the document that would say this isn't happening. And here are the 10 polling places we can point to or the 20 or the 50 that we can point to and say this isn't happening. And that is having a deleterious effect on the election, on the people's faith in the sanctity of the election. And judge, you need to do something to prevent that from happening. That they can't point to those, that they can't point to specific instances of problems really at any level gives this document a certain weakness to me. 
And maybe the judge says, hey, if this is in fact the case, I'll still look at it, but you have to actually show me some of the receipts here, as we might say on the internet. But if she doesn't, if she just kicks it out and says this doesn't actually state a claim, that wouldn't surprise me either. And again, given the history of this particular judge with the Trump campaign and Trump himself, it wouldn't surprise me if this one gets kicked out pretty quick. Might be appealed. I strongly suspect it would be if that happens, if it's dismissed and Trump wants to pursue it further. But I look at this document in my home state, in a state that has proven to be a little bit controversial. Uh, it does appear to be a fairly significant win for uh, Joe Biden at this point in time, but but pretty close throughout the evening and, and throughout the day today that at the end of the day, I just don't see a claim here that is very likely to change the election or very likely to really wind up with what Trump wants. This has been a special virtual legality for today. We don't usually talk about Michigan here in this space. We don't usually talk about lawsuits, although we do to some extent at a fairly reasonable clip. And we certainly don't talk about presidential Michigan lawsuits, but it's a very, very interesting election. It's certainly an important day or days here as America decides what direction it's going to go in the executive branch at bare minimum. And so I thought it was important to talk about these things with you. Please leave a comment to this video if you've got your own thoughts. I don't view this particular lawsuit as terribly political in nature. I just wanted to analyze exactly what the strengths and weaknesses of the Trump complaint were. Obviously, the reason behind the complaint is extraordinarily political in nature. Uh, but hopefully, if you're coming from either side of the fence on this, uh, you don't take my interpretations of the particular complaint one way or the other uh, with respect to Trump, uh, Biden, or anybody else uh, that you might fancy uh, in U.S. political office. This has been Virtual Legality for today, part two. Uh, if you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, share, tell people that we're having conversations about all manners of things, but often about the business and law of the pop culture and other interesting things that you're otherwise reading about. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.